Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. What should you do if you receive two voter cards for the municipal election? Your boss is tracking your electronic activity. The pandemic has impacted our personalities. Fire Chief Dave Cunliffe joins us for Fire Prevention Week. There's a new program from Interval House and the Tiger Cats. And Canada's Slam Poetry Champion is from Hamilton. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Have you, or is there someone you know, that have received two, not one, but two voter cards for the upcoming municipal election on October 24th? I know of two people, producer Liz being one of them, that have received two voter cards. In Liz's case, this is kind of, I don't know if it's funny, It's certainly an eyebrow raiser. She received a voter card where she lives, as well as a voter card from the city of Hamilton, where she no longer lives. Others, as I mentioned, have received two voter cards from the same city. How how does this happen? Andrea Holland is the city clerk with the city of Hamilton and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Andrea, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Thank you for the invitation. How, do we know how many people have received two voter cards? Um, at this time, we don't. Um, the voters list is given to the city clerks in all of Ontario from the Municipal um, Assessment Property Corporation. So at this time, we don't know how many people have received duplicates. Is this a new thing, or does this happen from time to time? And, and how does this happen? So how it generally happens, um, I don't know, but the unique situation with uh, the person in your office However, what generally happens is sometimes people move midstream between elections, so their name may be left on the elections list from the old list. And then what may happen as well is there may be a misspelling in people's names. So MPAC, as it's commonly known, um, they create their voters list from the land registry office where we have our school support and the owner and the residents' names. And then what may happen is MPAC... um, uses also the Elections Ontario's list and sort of tries to get um, citizenship to make sure the people on their list actually have citizenship. And then what sometimes may happen is some person's name may be spelt differently on the Ontario list, so MPAC will put both people's names on the list. Ah, great explanation. So if there's listeners out there right now saying, yeah, I, I have two cards, what do they do? So you will only be able to vote once. If you have an extra card, bring it with you. And what we will do is we will amend the list for you at the voting station. What happens if a Hamilton resident does not receive a voter card? You absolutely do not need a card to vote. Any eligible elector in Hamilton can vote at the poll. If you didn't receive a card, you can go to our website at hamilton.ca slash election. You will be able to go there, put in your address, and it will tell you the correct poll to vote. So there are a couple of voting dates coming up. We have October 14th and 15th as an advanced poll date. And then we also have, of course, October 24th. So you have three dates where you can vote. That is uh, Election Day here in the city of Hamilton. CHML will be broadcasting live from City Hall, by the way, on that night. Should be an exciting evening. Andrea Holland is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Andrea is the city clerk with the city of Hamilton. The... um, the voter cards, um, when when someone does not receive a voter card, does that, does that happen a lot in town? Is that a common occurrence? I will say it is quite common, um, especially if you live in a building, in an apartment building, where you may have renters coming and going. 
The land registry office does not keep track of tenants unless that tenant has provided that information to the land registry office or MPAC. You mentioned uh, advance polls. We had the first two this past weekend, Friday, Saturday. Any sense of how active they were? Yeah, so it was great. We had a lot of people come out um, on the Friday and Saturday. We had over 11,600 voters come out these past two days. Wow, is that above expectations? Um, I wasn't here in 2018. For me, I think it's a healthy response for the first two dates, considering they're a couple weeks out from the actual election day. Voting by mail is also an option. Any guesstimates on how many people could be voting by mail this year? We did get over 3,500 people registered for voting for vote by mail. Those people have up until October 24th to return those packages. So this is the first time Hamilton's done it, so it'll be interesting to see what percentage of people return those. Yeah, very much so. But of course... Go ahead. Sorry, Rick. I do want to say anybody who's registered to vote by mail may get their package and change their mind. They can absolutely still come to the poll and vote. And what we will do is we will cancel the package and they can vote at the poll. Very good to know. Because there, yeah, there's, I'm sure, a lot of people thinking, no, I'm not going to be around on the 24th, or I can't go to the advance polls, I'll vote by mail, and all of a sudden their schedule changes. Like, you know what, I'm going to go uh, at, at, at my polling station and cast the ballot on, on Election Day. So that's a good option. Andrea Holland is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Andrea is the city clerk with the city of Hamilton, talking about Election Day and advance polls and voter cards. There's also... Some municipalities, actually more than 200 of them, using online voting or phone voting uh, in the upcoming election. Why not here? So when we looked at some of the census data, we realized um, there isn't as great a percentage of people who have access to Internet technology. We do understand that the federal government is working on that as far as um, availability of proper Internet services, especially in the rural areas. So we're waiting to see what that work is going to happen over the next four years. We understand there was a bit of a delay with COVID. It is something we will be studying and bringing forward to uh, for council, the next council to sort of deliberate on for the 2026 election. We have been putting money aside for that to help pay for that at this time. Is one of the stumbling blocks, at, these, uh, at least at this point, the security behind it? No, um, I've worked in previous um, municipalities where um, I did help deliver the Internet voting. It's not something that I'm concerned about. Typically, when you're doing Internet voting, it would go through the same rigor and testing as any system that you would put through um, the Internet, such as Internet banking, um, Amazon. They go through rigorous testing when you're doing online purchasing. We would use the same sort of rigor. Of course, nothing is 100%, mm-hmm. but you make sure that you go through the proper channels to make sure that that system is secure. Uh, last question for you. We have about uh, 45 seconds. What other preparations are being made for Election Day here in the city? Well, in the next coming weeks, we'll be training um, the additional staff and citizens who will be working. Um, I do want to thank those uh, citizens who are coming forward to work during the election. I think it's a great way to support local democracy. We have about 1,700 people who vote, who work on Election Day to help deliver 157 locations for voting. So we're really focusing on making sure we get all those people up and running and trained. That's awesome. Yeah, volunteers are certainly those who uh, help uh, move the needle when it comes to voting day because there's a lot of work that happens on, on that day. Andrew, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, Rick. That's Andrea Holland, City Clerk, City of Hamilton. If you have two voter cards, if you missed it, bring it with you. Vote, and then those cards will be, uh, well, removed from the entire equation because you can only vote once. So bring them both with you and uh, cast your vote. 
You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. In what is a first in Canada, Ontario employers with 25 or more workers are going to be required to disclose if, how, and why they are monitoring their employees electronically. Monty McNaughton is the Labour Minister here in Ontario, also the Conservative MPP for Lambton Kent Middlesex, and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Mr. McNaughton, welcome back to the show. How are you? Well, great to be back on with you, Rick, and I hope you and all your listeners had a great Thanksgiving weekend. And and likewise, the uh, the Working for Workers Act, today is the day that companies must have a written policy in place. What has to be included in this policy? Well, you, um, you know, you were uh, accurate when you said we were the first in Canada to uh, bring in this legislation. Uh, so all employers with 25 or more employees uh, have to have a policy uh, posted um, to tell their workers if, how, and why they're being monitored uh, electronically. Um, this really is about protecting people's privacy and just really bringing transparency around um, electronic monitoring because many workers out there don't know that their employers are monitoring them. And is that why this is needed, because we want to inform employees that this is happening? Absolutely. I mean, um, I was clear when I became the Minister of Labour that I really wanted to rebalance the scales and um, be on the side of uh, workers. That's why we passed uh, two pieces of legislation, both called the Working for Workers Act. Uh, We brought in things like the right to disconnect policy. Uh, We banned non-competes in Ontario. We gave truck drivers and delivery drivers access to washrooms. Uh, This is yet another uh, measure in the legislation that really um, empowers employees and ensures that there's transparency around how they're being tracked uh, electronically. There is similar privacy legislation in Alberta and BC. It's a little bit different. It's consent-based. Are Ontario employers required to receive consent from their employees? Well, uh, you know, the, the law is clear in Ontario. We're making changes to the Employment Standards Act. So employers have to, uh, starting today in Ontario, tell workers if, how, and why they're being monitored electronically. So it's, it's really clear what we're asking uh, here in Ontario. Um, the reason why we're moving forward with this is, you know, I don't need to tell anyone out there, the world of work uh, changed rapidly uh, during the pandemic. I, I think at one point, almost 40% of people were working uh, from home. And we saw uh, over the last couple of years uh, or heard stories about employers taking screenshots of employees uh, monitors every 10 minutes without them knowing. Uh, we saw that uh, in some warehouses and distribution centers, um, employees were going for uh, washroom breaks and they were being tracked without them uh, knowing. So this is to bring transparency around the issue. And I've always said this is a, a first step and if we need to take further action, we will. So there is no checkbox for an employee to click on to say, yes, I consent, you know, it's okay if you monitor my activity. This is about employers uh, telling every employee exactly how they're being monitored electronically um, and if, how, and why. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Monty McNaughton, the Minister of Labour, Immigration, Training and Skills Development and the Conservative MPP for Lambton, Kent, Middlesex. We're talking about a new law that is put into place, at least in terms of today, where companies have to have a written policy that requires uh, how they're going to monitor uh, employees electronically. 
How does this apply to companies and businesses who have locations in other provinces? Uh, Tim Hortons, for example, Chorus Entertainment, we have radio stations across the country. Will those employees also be under this rule or only in those locations in this province? It'll be just uh, the locations uh, in this province because labor laws apply to provincial um, employees. um, And this law specifically applies to uh, provincially regulated uh, employers. You know, I've also uh, done this because I've said quite clearly that governments of all different stripes in the past really have uh, struggled to keep up with uh, technological uh, change. And it's great, I think, for workers in Ontario that under Premier Ford and our government, we are making a number of changes to really rebalance those scales. So I envision employees, when they go for interviews, for example, they can say to the potential employer, What's your policy around electronic monitoring? What's your right to disconnect policy? And it really does allow employees to choose the best employer to work for. Last one for you, you've got about 45 seconds. I'm sure some employees are going to complain about this or maybe complain that their boss or company is doing this. Can they go somewhere to do that complaining? Is that the labor board? Is that somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, uh, the law uh, starting today says that employers with 25 or more employees must uh, post and communicate uh, a policy to employees around uh, electronic monitoring. Uh, If that policy is not posted, then they can certainly call uh, the Ministry of Labour. We've been working with businesses, by the way, for the last six months to really help them uh, uh, write this policy, give them guidance, um, because we know this is new territory. And our Ministry of Labour inspectors will be, you know, going out with a uh, education-first approach to train and teach employers how this works. But certainly this is embedded in the Employment Standards Act, and if anyone has concerns, they can call the Ministry of Labour. Well, let's hope it uh, it lends to a much more enjoyable workplace. Uh, Mr. McNaughton, thanks for the time today. Good luck with us. Thanks, Rick. Have a great day. You too. That's Monty McNaughton, Minister of Labour, Immigration, Training and Skills Development here in the province of Ontario, Conservative MPP for Lambton, Kent and Middlesex. When we come back after the news, have you received two voter cards for the October 24th election? If so, stick around. We'll tell you what to do next on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A lot of things have changed during COVID-19. How we work, uh, how we buy groceries, how we socialize. And now there's a new study out that suggests the pandemic has also changed our personalities. Uh, It was published by PLOS One. It measured changes in our five big traits, neuroticism, extroversion, openness, agreeableness, and conscientiousness. And it found that significant changes in 2021 and 2022, where adults aged 18 to 64 became less extroverted, agreeable, and conscientious in 2021 and 2022, and adults under 30 became more neurotic. Really fascinating stuff. Researchers say this alteration, if you will, uh, would be roughly equivalent to a decade's worth of personality changes. So what does this mean now and going forward? Steve Jordans is a professor in the Department of Psychology at uh, the University of Toronto and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Steve, how are you? Good, good. Great to be with you, Rick. 
your thoughts on these findings? These are really, I don't know if troubling is the word, uh, wild, wacky. What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, unprecedented is a word we've used for the pandemic over and over again. And in this case, what we're talking about is the level of chronic stress that we've all felt for such a long period of time. And that changes us. Um, I mean, it, it really makes us more emotional. Our limbic system becomes dominant and our frontal lobes, which is where we do all of our conscious strategic thinking, they become um, less active, less powerful. And so a lot of us have felt more emotional. We felt a little bit of that fight flight reflex we know that violence is up all over the world and if we imagine you know our usual way of coping with that is through our social connections uh, we go to our friends we go to our family and that's been harder too and so we've now got years of buildup of of these behaviors where all of us are a little more on edge a little more emotional a little more whatever and it feels like or it sounds like from this study some of this is starting to set in as habit and and we're starting to have a new way of being um, which is going to be a little problematic going forward. We really um, want to get back to a more, um, I don't know what the word is, but a normal, for lack of a better word, way of yeah. being. It's interesting to note that in 2020, when this study was looking at these three personality traits in particular, that they didn't really change that much, or they weren't really, I guess, challenged in a way that they were the last couple of years. Is that because at the start of the pandemic, we were more focused on you know, or, or maybe more scared about, you know, how are we going to deal with this thing? We got to come together. Is that, was that a factor? Yeah. I mean, we really did see weird stuff unfold over time and, and it's not totally surprising when a, a big stressor hits, usually it kind of activates us. We we're anxious. We talk about feeling anxious and the anxiety, but anxiety is kind of a, a fight reflex. And it's kind of like us trying to figure out to problem solve. How do we live in this new world, etc. If that lasts too long, it starts to go into, you know, we have colloquial terms like burnout um, and various other things where we just start sort of giving up. We, we don't know how to fight anymore. Um, and, and in those cases, you know, we may see a lot more negative mood. We may see a lot more misdirected fight where, you know, it becomes directed at our, our friends or our, our family members. And those all break down our social connections, which again are our saving grace. That's what we go to when we need support. And so, you know, I think a lot of us are just not feeling our best right now. And we're seeing that come through as a lack of conscientiousness and a lack of agreeableness and and things like that. Um, we really need um, a chance to kind of get away from all of these stresses and stuff, but we're just not getting that chance. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Steve Jordans, professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Toronto. We're talking about a new study that shows how the pandemic has changed our personalities a little bit, uh, depending on the age group that you're in. The younger, it seems to be a lot more change. To that end, the older demographic, the, the 50, 60 plus, their personalities, according to this study, didn't really change all that much over the last two years. Is that because they're just kind of set in their ways? Their personality is set? I mean, I think that's part of it. Um, and, and the other part of it, though, is the importance of social connection in our lives. When when we're older, we tend to have those relationships set. You know, we've built them and they're there for us. And, you know, we all have good friends that we've ignored for like 10 years. And then we see them and, and we're right back to where we were 10 years ago. Um, the younger people are really building out those social connections. They're building their network of, of support people that they'll rely on all their life. And, and so when that's stolen from you at that time, that makes it a whole lot harder to deal with a lot of the pressures. And so I think literally the impact of the pandemic has been much greater on younger people than on older people, uh, you know, not considering the medical impact, obviously, which is which is stronger on older people. 
in 10, 20 years from now, are we going to have a very angry, uh, uh, disagreeable population? Or, or are these personality traits going to lean back to where they should be? Yeah, uh, let, let's hope. I mean, I, I think of things like the demonstrations in Ottawa. And when we look at that, that was the extreme of a bunch of angry people, um, you know, to some extent. And we got there. Uh, we got to that really sort of dark place of, of being hyper emotional and, and not very worried about others in society, so to speak. Some of us got there anyway. Um, <laughs> and to some extent, we, we've, we, I think we have bounced back a little bit, but the, then the whole unprecedented nature, the amount of time that this has been going on has really made a difference. In that study, they, they've looked at these things in hurricanes and other things where the stress has been shorter term and they found very little impact. And so it really seems like it's the long-term impact of, of living this way that has maybe started to sneak in as habits. And, and certainly one of the things I think we need to be doing now is rebuilding our social connections. They are what we use to get back to that good place. Uh, and so I think for many young people, it's about you know getting back to in-person interactions with friends um, and things like that. And so as long as we can move in that direction and we don't have yet something else getting in the way, um, I think things will get better, but it could be a slower process because of the habits that we've built over all this time. Fascinating results from this study. Extraordinary insights from our guest, Steve Jordans from the U of T. Steve, thanks for the time. Appreciate your analysis on this. No problem, Rick. Thank you very much. Really is interesting and really not surprising in the same sense that, especially during lockdowns and restrictions and being told what we can and cannot do, there was an adjustment period. And I think for some, that adjustment was really earth shattering, really rocked their world and, and clearly altered their personality. Some pretty cool stuff. You can check out more online at globalnews.ca regarding this study. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This week marks Fire Prevention Week across North America, including here in Hamilton, of course. This year's theme is Fire Won't Wait, Plan Your Escape. To find out more, let's bring in Hamilton Fire Department Fire Chief Dave Cunliffe to the show. Dave, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Tell us about Fire Prevention Week and why this year's theme is all about planning your escape route. Well, yeah, once a year, um, fire departments across North America celebrate uh, Fire Prevention Week, and this is actually the 100th anniversary of Fire Prevention Week. Um, it's really important that people know how to get out of their house when there's a, a, a fire. Uh, one of the things that we're finding is, is that um, uh, people are not replacing their batteries and their smoke alarms, and they're not necessarily making sure that they have working smoke alarms in their homes. And that's a real issue for us, not only here in the city of Hamilton, but across the province. So one of the things we're trying to let people know is, um, you know, fire won't wait, plan your escape. Make sure that you, you have a plan with your family and everybody that uh, lives in the home knows uh, how to get out. You want to make sure that you have two ways out um, because uh, today a lot of uh, a lot of the residences uh, have multiple floors. Uh, sleeping areas could be on the upper floor or in the basement, and in many way, many times they have to go up and down stairs to get out. And if a fire is on the main floor, it may cut off that uh, stairwell. So you want to make sure if you're on a second floor, you identify some windows uh, maybe that can get you to a roof of a garage or. A, or a second roof that uh, many of these uh, occupancies have, or at least into a wind get to a, a room um, where you can shut the door, put something on, under the uh, bottom of the door to prevent the smoke from coming in, and get yourself to a window so that you can either tell us if you're on 911 talking to the fire department, you can say, I'm in the, the second floor bedroom at the uh, front of the house. 
uh, and or else get to the window and you can yell for help and firefighters can get there to help get you out. Is is there uh, things that um, homeowners, uh, kids in these homes, relatives, whatever the case is, renters uh, should not be doing? Is there Are there anecdotal information or, or maybe stats on showing where people make those missteps? Well, I think the, the biggest thing, one of the biggest things is, is that people are neglecting to uh, make sure they have working smoke alarms. And from a statistical perspective, uh, here in Hamilton, uh, we are seeing almost 39, 39% of the homes only have working smoke alarms. So the converse, obviously, we're almost at the 60% uh, mark of the homes where we're having resi- of, uh, structure fires don't have working smoke alarms. This is very, very concerning. Uh, Obviously, in the province of Ontario, this is legislated, so this is law that you must have working smoke alarms on every floor of your home, uh, especially outside of the sleeping areas. You also need to have carbon monoxide alarms. I think, Rick, it's it's interesting. I, I don't think people realize how deadly fire is. You know, smoke and the, the toxic gases kill more people than uh, the, the fire itself. And so you could have a, sl- a slow smoldering fire, and that now becomes the, the greatest um, danger to residents. And, and fire is very quick. Uh, one of the things I don't think people realize is fire doubles every minute. And so by the time, you know, the smoke alarms will go off uh, fairly quickly with smoke generation, but that fire's been burning for a little bit. And then for every minute, it doubles in size and very quickly can become a significant incident. Fire Chief Dave Cunliffe is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML as we discuss Fire Prevention Week, which is on now. This year's theme is Fire Won't Wait, Plan Your Escape. Are kitchen fires still the number one cause of these in-home blazes? Yeah, yeah, you're correct, Rick. We're seeing both uh, kitchen fires and uh, so that's unattended cooking, as well as um, the dangerous discard of uh, smoking materials. And so one of the things that we're seeing is, uh, you know, especially in times when we've got folks that are uh, in the home celebrating, and, and certainly during COVID, when people were more at home than normal, um, people become distracted. And what happens is you've got something on the stove. Uh, you you know the the kids call you uh, something the the phone rings uh, somebody comes to your door and next thing you know pots boil dry or that grease that you were heating up to uh, cook something is now in flame and you've got a kitchen fire and it can be very very dangerous uh, today again with the combustibles that are in our homes fire will grow very quickly and and then we see a, a situation where people could be seriously hurt. The other is is that, again, people being at home are out uh, smoking out on the back deck or the front porch, and they don't have proper means of disposal of the cigarettes, and they tend to butt them out in a, a flower bed or a flower pot um, or even just flip them off uh, off the deck. Next thing you know, we've seen a number of fires in the most recent time uh, where it starts on the outside of the deck, and next thing you know, it's climbing the wall, and then it breaches into the into the residence. And again, it's happening in the early morning hours, and so it's really, really important that people have working smoke alarms to make sure they get alerted and can get out. Fire won't wait. Plan your escape. That's the message this year for Fire Prevention Week. Uh, Fire Chief Dave Cunliffe, thank you for your time today, and let's hope uh, all our residents can stay safe. Thanks, Rick. Really appreciate this. As Dave Cunliffe, Fire Chief with the Hamilton Fire Department. You can get more information on their website or just Google Fire Prevention Week and get some tips and advice as well to follow along. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Interval House of Hamilton 
is at it again, making a big difference in our community. They're teaming up with the Hamilton Tiger Cats and expanding the Be More Than a Bystander partnership, which is an amazing program, to deliver what's called the Coaching Boys in the Men program. And here to discuss it is Sue Taylor, the Executive Director of Interval House of Hamilton. Sue, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, and thanks for having me back again. What is the Coaching Boys in the Men program all about? We're excited to actually make this announcement today. The Coaching Boys into Men program, it is an evidence-based program, and it really focuses on training coaches on gender-based violence. The training is about simply three hours, and they, in turn, will go back to their team and have weekly conversations of about 10 or 15 minutes, and they discuss gender-based violence, dating violence, and how to be more than a bystander. So the time commitment is pretty low, but the outcomes are pretty spectacular. The timing of this is, uh, well, I'll say interesting. Um, You know, the Hockey Canada fiasco has been rumbling for the last number of months. Is there any uh, connection between the two? There's actually no connection between the two, but we do want to open this up as an opportunity because we can't change what's happened in, in with Hockey Canada. But you know what? Today we can change what happens today and tomorrow. This can be an opportunity for the sport to really dismantle some of the toxic masculinity that goes with it. And we can learn that sport does not equal violence. So this uh, Coaching Boys and Men's program is focused on the coaches delivering the message. Why is that important? I, first of all, I'm a, I'm a hockey mom. So I've really seen the, the impact a coach can have on their players. And I really believe that coaching, it's such an important it's such an important role we play with our youth. We coach them to play a good game, but we also also coach them to be great adults. And coaches are just uniquely positioned to deliver this message. So what kind of messaging is going to be relayed to the athletes? Well, it is a weekly conversation. The coaches kind of receive a script that they'll follow. We obviously completely support the coaches through the whole season. And they'll cover everything from what gender-based violence means, what does a healthy relationship look like, what does dating violence look like, and what tools can youth use when they find themselves in a difficult position. And is this uh, expected or supposed to be applied like on the field or on the ice, during a practice, after practice? How is this implemented? We actually try to do this right in the dressing room. We really want to re-envision the dressing room and have the dressing room be a healthy place for players and coaches to have a conversation. We think it's the perfect place for the conversation to happen. It's literally 10 minutes, and it can literally, literally show great outcomes. This is evidence-based. This has been going on for about 10 years. We brought this program in from the States, and so far the outcomes are showing that over 90% of the youth that are participating have an increased knowledge in gender-based violence and feel better equipped to intervene when they see or know something that's going on that's wrong. That's pretty cool. Sue Taylor is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Sue is the Executive Director of Interval House of Hamilton, launching a new program called Coaching Boys in the Men Program. What kind of results and and when can we expect these results to be seen? I know they're they're not going to be as visible to the naked eye as something substantial like, you know, statistics on a chart, but when can we see some tangible results? Because this program has already been in effect for 10 years and it's been a a highly 
um, researched project. Uh, part of the evaluation when we brought the program into Ontario and into Hamilton was that we agreed to their evaluations. The evaluations will start to take place as soon as we find coaches to participate. And then within our first season, we should be able to see some of those results that the states were reporting. Which uh, teams and which local leagues are you focusing on here? Well, that's why I'm happy you have me here today, because as much as I have this great program, I need teams. I need to get into the school boards and I need to get into dressing rooms. So coaches who are interested or an agency or organization that's interested, please reach out and contact me. The Ticats are going to support us 100%. So teams that participate are going to have like autograph days or tickets to some Ticat games. Um, we're really hoping to build a lot of momentum, and I'm really hoping that coaches are hearing my message today and reaching out to me. Well, I know the Hamilton Bulldogs were really in with the Be More Than a Bystander partnership, so I can see them contributing to this as well because, I mean, they're in schools, right? We're talking about players who are under the age of 20. Yes, this program specifically targets uh, youth as young as about 12, and we go up to the age of 18. So I have had some conversations as well with the Bulldogs on their interest, and my hope, my hope, fingers crossed, that I can start to get some coaches signed up soon. And how long does this program run for? Is it the entire sporting season? Yes, because we'll train the coaches. It takes about three hours, and then the coach has a series of cards that we give them. And the, each card has kind of an activity or an exercise that they'll do with their team, kind of a guided conversation, 10 minutes. That's it, in the dressing room. And you do uh, a card each week for the basically your season. Sue Taylor is our guest. Sue is the executive director of Interval House of Hamilton. We're talking about a new initiative called Coaching Boys in the Men. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We have about a minute or so. There's always an issue about... Uh, you know, players buying into things, whether it's the coach, coach's messages about, you know, how to execute the game plan, the X's and O's. When it comes to this, do you get the sense that boys are buying into this messaging? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that boys, I think everyone's interested in hearing how we can live a healthy gender, like violence-free lives. Um most teens do respond when we go out and speak with them. They're, they're motivated. They're interested in hearing what we have to say. And again, certainly with it coming from a coach, it's going to have such a tremendous impact on that on that player. If there's a coach or a league convener listening right now wants to get in contact with you to to get this program on board, how do they go about doing so? They can call me Interval House. I'm there, geez, almost seven days a week <laughs> at 905-387-9959. That's 905-387-9959. Great stuff. Sue, always appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on again. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Sue Taylor, Executive Director, Interval House of Hamilton, the Coaching Boys in the Men program, CBIM, the acronym, is evidence-based prevention program that trains and motivates high school coaches to teach their young male athletes healthy relationship skills and that violence never equals strength. It sounds like it's a great program that's going to do a lot of good in this community. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. You've heard the likes of Edgar Allan Poe and uh, Emily Dickinson, uh, Maya Angelou, uh, Robert Frost, world famous poets. I was at Supercrawl earlier on this summer and I heard a guy uh, slamming words out of his mouth that was engaging with the audience. It was really Really interesting. And the first time I was exposed to this, so I thought, I got to get this guy on the show. His name is Eddie Larte. He's a Hamilton wordsmith, a poet, a poetry slam champion. And he joins us on the show. Eddie, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I, I got to ask, how do you get involved in slam poetry or, or poetry slam? 
That's a that's a great question. <laughs> uh, I got involved. Um, I saw the competition. I've always been writing, and then I, I saw it, and I was like, you know what? I think I can do this competition. I'm a naturally competitive person, um, so. I decided to just enroll myself. But I think the typical student these days can get involved through school uh, and through various clubs and creative writing experiences. When did you feel that you got it? Like it was it was clicking. It was making sense. Things were just flowing nicely. Oh, it's when it hits the stage. I think it's that first snap that the audience gives you and you see them react. Um, and it's from there, and then you do your poem, and then after you leave the stage, you have people talking to you, be like, I really <laughs> relate to this. I really saw this, and it was really, really great. Oh, thank you so much. I think it's those, I live for that more than I live for, um, like, the titles or the accolades. It's, mm -hmm. it's more, For me, it's always about the connection and the conversation afterwards. That's cool. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Eddie Larte. He's a Hamilton poet, and uh, he's won, as he's mentioned, uh, a number of awards. The 2019 Toronto International Poet Slam Championship. He's the 2021 Human Rights Festival Poetry Slam champ, and you won the 2022 Canadian uh, Individual Poetry Championship. W what do those accolades mean to you? For me, they're just moments. I think they're they're great moments. But like for for me, it's always I'm always looking to the next thing. I'm always like, okay, great, I won this. But like, um, what does it mean? Does it put me on greater stages? Does it does it give me more access to people, or or does it make certain other things possible? Like I'm looking to write a book. Um, does it make that possible? Does it make grants easier and more accessible because they have some type of level of prestige um so for me it's all about access i think these accolades grant me access um i mean obviously there's uh there's the money involved where <laughs> the price gets to go up but it's all about the access and the the wanting to create more art and influence more people you mentioned you're writing a book what's the book about is it is it about poetry Yes, it is. It's a collection of poems. It's called Silent Conversations. And it's the, uh, the moments without words that, that are poetry as well. What's your day job? I'm an HR manager. <laughs> Perhaps not as exciting as a poetry slam champion? Definitely not, but I still try to find moments of connection. I think that's, that's really what it's about for me. That's pretty uh, cool. Connecting people and making them feel happy. Eddie Larte is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Eddie is a, a Hamilton poet and is going to be going to the World Championships, I understand, in Brazil this December. What's that going to be like? Uh, it's really great. And I think it's actually the American Cup of Poetry. Okay. Um, it's interesting. People ask me all the time, are you nervous? And I'm like, not really. And they're like, why not? And I'm like, I've practiced thousands of times. Um <laughs> It's really just saying the same thing I've practiced about numerous times. And like, if I find myself getting nervous, it just means I need more practice. Um, so I'm super excited. I've never been to Brazil before. Uh, I hope they receive it well. I hope I get to connect with people um, and just present great work. Um, the competition will take care of itself. That should be a lot of fun. You're also the driving force behind, is it Hamilton U Poets? Yes, it is. Yeah, tell us about that. So Hamilton New Poets is a collective of artists and we seek to just create literary experiences for students across Hamilton uh, and beyond. Uh, we're teaching a number of workshops, whether it's with the Hamilton Catholic or Public School Board or it's with the Art Gallery. Um, we're really just about creating uh, poetry, making it just as cool as like football. 
uh, per se. Um, I would love uh, a poet to be equivalent to a star quarterback or, or a point guard um, because they have talent too and they have a story to share. Absolutely. How can someone get involved if they do want to jump into this? So what you can do is you can follow us on Instagram, which is Hamilton E. Poets, or follow myself, which is Tupac Shakespeare. Um, just, just to stay up to date with all the different things that we're doing. Great stuff. It's a great story. Wonderful uh, stories that you are telling as well. And I'm sure you're going to continue to thrill the people that uh, you get to uh, entertain on uh, on a day-to-day basis, whatever the case is. Eddie, really appreciate the time today and best of luck going forward. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Eddie Larte, Hamilton poet. And you know, when I was at Supercrawl introducing some of the musical acts, I thought, Eddie Larte, I don't, I don't know who this person is. What? what oh, he's a, he's a slam poetry champion. Oh, he's the national championship at this kind of uh, art. And he was amazing, like uh, unbelievable. And it's not your traditional, you know, him reading a poem. It's like a story and it, and it has so many different aspects and so many layers and levels to the story that really gets you thinking. And he puts on a phenomenal show. So, hey, check him out. Eddie Larte could be performing at a club near you. And uh, if not, check him out at the uh, Worlds coming up in December. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.